0: well-known passage in all of our hearts, and we usually equate this prophetic depiction of Jesus with Holy Communion. And um, we would do well to do that. But that's not the motive that I have for bringing this to you today. Um, the, the the way that the Lord is speaking um, over the past number of months has been very, very clear and very uh, almost stern, that's not a good word, insistent. Um, Yesterday afternoon, uh, after uh, the morning of prayer, I went home and was getting ready for my routine, which usually involves um, getting on the treadmill and then transitioning to the other side of the happy place to study the scripture. To get ready for, get my heart ready for today. Um, in the middle of the afternoon, I just mm-hmm. very clearly, distinctly heard um, he was wounded for our transgressions. I mean, it was so vibrant in my spirit, and I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's a very distinct and clear <laughs> scripture and whenever that happens, you know, I, I registered and I know that it's something God's saying in light of what I was going to be studying. So I sat down and I started doing a study of this passage and I started looking at the diff- various words and doing the offshoots, just as so many of you do, um, various offshoots throughout the scripture. And I I was thinking, yeah, I see this, I see this, I see this, and started putting it together in my mind, which I don't normally take notes at that point because it's kind of like when the Spirit speaks to me, it's kind of like putting ingredients in a pot, you know. He, he, wants us, he wants me to meditate on it a little bit and just kind of let it settle. And about three hours later, I thought, well, I probably need to start putting together some kind of a, an outline maybe. And I thought, no, I don't really need to do an outline because this is Isaiah 53. You know, everybody knows it by heart. And then I was pulling up the, the word program and I heard again, he was wounded for our transgressions. And I thought, okay, that's what I've been I, I don't say this to the Lord, but I, I was thinking, I've been studying this for three hours. I know so I recognized I needed to really focus in on trans transgression. So I looked at it. And it has settled upon me that what we have here is a fourfold directive from God. And it needs to be viewed, Isaiah 53, it needs to be viewed as a voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes, progression. And I'd never really looked at it that way before, but I knew that there was an insistence upon the Lord that we that we recognize this from a precept standpoint. What do I mean by that? Well, we know from another passage in Isaiah that God speaks in a line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And I know it repeats those. I understand that. But the line upon line is when God is giving us definitions, when God is teaching us specific principles, and we, we do our best to learn those because they build upon each other then you come into the precept upon precept which is principles principles based upon what you've walked in God and principles based upon the 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 proper def, the the proper application of definitions so for instance you look at the precepts of a threefold progression or a precept of a fourfold progression which we're looking at today or or fivefold mind of the lord or Uh, The seven spirits or uh, the eight, which would represent going into the new. You know, those precepts which um, demand that you are established in the line upon line, the definitions upon which the precepts are built. Now you say, I don't understand all that. Well, you better stop saying that because that's what God says he does in teaching us. So as soon as you drop kick it because you don't really want to let your mind be disciplined a bit, you're basically saying, I don't want to learn from you, God. I don't want to walk in you. And if God does speak to us in a line upon line, precept upon precept way, within, then comes the here, little, there, little. Um, if, you're, if your whole study progression is just waiting on the here, little, there, little, you're going to be waiting a long time or you're going to be eating snack food all the time the here a little there a little is only uh, a blessing when you're established in line upon line and precept upon precept it's kind of like if you are a, an expert jeweler i i studied i was reminded of this guy that was a a gemologist and he dealt with he had a jewelry shops in a uh, part of the country and he was driving through the uh the, the New Mexico-Arizona corridor, and he stopped at this roadside place that was selling gems that people had found. And um, this guy who was an expert immediately saw a stone that was so unusual, and he, he said to the guy that was selling it, he said, you know, this is very rare. And um, the guy said, oh, you know, we find them. I've never seen anything like that. And the guy said, well, you just name your price and I'll pay for it. He wasn't trying to jip the guy because the guy had just a few dollars on this thing. The guy, the guy gave him a price, and it turned out that this stone was worth $890,000. But the guy just driving down the road, you know, Aunt Nellie and Uncle Bob, you know, they may not know what that was. But somebody that was established and trained was able to say, I'm not out at some gem, gem show buying something. I'm not online seeing this and recognizing the value of it, and it's valued lower than what it is, and I'm going to buy it. Because they were established, they could. he could find the here a little, there a little. And that's we don't rely on the here a little, there a little, but we're blessed by the here a little, there a little because of being established in the definings of line upon line and then being able to grasp the larger principles of precept on precept. And I think that over this past number of months, God has been speaking a lot to us. In fact, he's impressing upon us precept understandings, which is a grace upon grace kind of thing. And I'm grateful for that, very grateful for that. You know, when, when we were looking at the study of honor and I've started writing about this, um we we saw so many times that as god established the the defining of it then he started talking to us in precept language which we would not have understood like all that discussion we talked about honor in the heavens we wouldn't have understood much of that at all had we not had de- definitions of the other terms and definition, understanding operative understanding of the flow patterns, whether it was a three or whether it was a five. or you know why are these why are these characters saying this in a seven? What is that? And we gained a definition that was a pnemonicost definition from the heavens that's right there in the word that we would not have had had we not been able to move in precept. So that's the way God moves and, and we have to say as well, that that passage speaks about a lot of things. Number one, it speaks about stammering lips in an unknown tongue in that Isaiah 28 passage where what we've just been talking about is very firmly established. And I want to declare right now in the presence of these godly prophets and five-fold offices that we will never be ashamed of speaking in tongues or in speaking in diversities of tongues. We will never turn from our birthday gift when the church was established at Pentecost. We will never be ashamed of God's way. And that was an assemblies of God, four-square principle from the turn of the last century, and it's ever more so important for us today. So in Isaiah 28, it says that, and we hold on to it. And there also in that passage is a covenant with death. There's so much there. But the, the principle of precept is here. And so God directs us to this precept of a fourfold progression here in Isaiah 53. And um, it begins by saying, oh well, let's, let's read it. How about if we read the Scripture? Wouldn't that be a good idea? Fran, are you in favor of that? All right. Whew. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Wow, those three verses are amazing. And when we are a people who are Friends of the bridegroom in the wilderness, the voice of one crying unto God. It doesn't look very pretty. People don't want to look at it. People aren't lined up saying, Yeah, I'll be a tender plant in the midst of this dry ground. You know, if you'd rather have an arboretum kind of a walk with God, I'm sure that there's a place in that wide path for you. But we're called into the wilderness, say, Prepare the way of the Lord. And, um, uh, it's it's wonderful to be there with him because you got him all to yourself, you know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right, I'll keep going. Um, but let's get on to this. Verse 4, surely he has borne, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Those four are powerful things. We've studied them in their their individual identities over the years. We've written materials about this, and none of that is being done away with. None of that is being uh, set aside. In fact, if anything, we're building upon that with, with the precept. But there's obviously four things that he did and all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned every one to his own way the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed he was afflicted he did not open his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he openeth not his mouth he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. We're going to talk about transgression here. Now, in the past, we have said, and it's been rightfully so, that transgression, uh, being being wounded for transgression, wounded is a a boring in, a piercing, and transgression is being somewhere where you don't belong or. Uh, being lost in sin—that is true. And uh, we thank God that Jesus uh, gave Himself for that in our redemption in that way. But in fact, when He was pierced, it was into His heart, and you—the the water came out, and then the blood, and it was—it was giving us access into being a people who could be established on this earth as kingdom people, as sons. And you can take it, extrapolate further by saying that we've been given access into the very heart of God, that our heart would beat with His. I remember so many times when we were first establishing prophetic song and uh, we as a people were first worshiping, I mean, just really trying to press in Uh, stepping away from the two sitting, one standing, actually worshiping uh, or doing our best to do that. Uh, There were so many times when God had put it in my heart to ask uh, your heart for ours, our heart for yours. And certainly this beginning point speaks of our heart being established and the heart of God being uh, our pattern and our dwelling place. And uh, those of you who heard who are going to hear the Sunday school class that Nancy taught today. You you need to listen to it because it's about the heart, and that is a really important message. Very timely, very prophetic. But um, the 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 further study for us today is about how this word transgression was used throughout the Old Testament, and. You can study this for yourself, as I'm sure some of you will. But it is usually it is usually mentioned uh, in a way to describe revolt or rebellion or expanse or trespassing into places you don't belong, and it's also used to talk about breaking away from what you know you're supposed to be doing. And it's interesting to me that you've got. You've got that usage of this word. He was wounded for our transgressions. And then in verse 8, the reason we read that long was that it says that all this was done for the transgression of his people. You know, there's, there's always going to be some, some other thing that would try to draw you away from what you're supposed to do. Isn't that right, Louise? It's it, There's always something that when you're moving forward, that the enemy or even your own cantankerous self will get your eyes on instead of what you're supposed to do. Uh, That was the onus of, of Satan's temptation of the Lord in the wilderness that the Spirit of God guided our Lord to encounter. You know, you're said to be this, but how about this? And even Eve in the garden, what has God said to you? Well, let me just give you an alternative. I know what you're saying he said, but what about this? And there's always something else. And you can classify it as just missing it. You can classify it as, you know, just a dalliance. But it's rebellion nonetheless. And, you know, if you align this, which we are today, in a fourfold process, Everybody in here knows that the fourfold process of God begins with a voice. Everything begins with a voice. And I would say, whose voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the still, small voice? Or are we listening to every other voice around, every wind of doctrine? Whose voice are you listening to? There's a lot of voices in this nation today and in the world, not just this nation And I have to say that so many of them, no matter how emphatically, no matter how passionately they're spoken, are nonsense. And usually they're a revolt or rebellion against what God wants. Have you noticed that? How most recently, over the past couple of years, the voices that are rising up loudly in our nation are directed definitively against what God wants. God has established and what Christian people have tried to embrace. In fact, any kind of nonsense that's spoken, no matter what it is, they'll say, oh, well, you know what these Christians say. Oh, you know what they say in the Bible. And there's the voice is now rebellion, breaking away or staying in the middle of what God's principle are, and and it's it's amazing to me. You know, a couple of months ago, we had the privilege of going down and praying together and asking the network to pray at um, at the courtroom, the federal courtroom where Roe versus Wade was first argued before it went on to the Supreme Court. And um, you know, I I. Uh, if I was still in our formal movement, former movement, I'd have to get up and repent that I went to a movie on Friday afternoon. Is that okay, Nancy? And uh, it was that movie, the new movie that's out, Unplanned. And uh, it's about a woman's testimony who had been a former director of Planned Parenthood and how that God. Strongly convicted her after having, after she had uh, supervised over twenty thousand abortions, it was in South Texas, and I was sitting there. I felt like I was in First Baptist Sunday School class because th- all around me were folks that I knew had were just looking for the offering plate to pass at any time, you know, and uh, but there were times during that movie where it was really the movie was just it was done well, but it was addressing the abortion argument that's in our country today. And as I watched this film, there were times where I just, I would close my eyes because I didn't want to see what was on the screen, and my hands were just coming up to cover my eyes, which makes no sense because my eyes were already closed. Things that they were showing about what actually happens, sonogram images of what actually happens in abortion and seeing even at five months this suction go up in and the baby trying to get away from it. It was so rattling to me. And as I sat there, when I was walking, I was walking back through North Park, just pleading the blood of Jesus and asking God to forgive our country. But on the other hand, there are, that voice is, is hiding itself in the guise of women's rights. That voice, uh, you know. And I was thinking, if I'm not going to go too far with this, because I want to get back to this principle, this precept. Um, but if every t- every year in Texas, we'll hear about some person who is either negligent or just out not thinking properly, who leaves their child in a in a car seat when they go into the store in the middle of the summer. And, and you know, sometimes the poor little child dies and we grieve over that. Sometimes the fire department's out, they bust open the windows. And sometimes, uh, you know, the child protective services are there and it's a major thing on the news. As it should be. Well, What about the 68 million? And what I'm saying is that's one voice in our country and anytime you try to talk anything of reason to protect life, there's an outcry of another voice that not only rises up loudly and vehemently, but it also then points the finger back at Christians saying, You people are so intolerant. It's a battle over voice, it's a battle over. What would normally be right? And that's just one issue. There are so many of them in this nation and so many in the world. I would say today that there is a battle for whose report will you believe? There's a battle over voices. And Jesus, in this fourfold progression, was wounded for transgression. For those who would go into a place where they don't belong or perhaps break away from what is right break away for what from what the scripture would say or break away from what god has given someone to do jesus suffered that piercing suffered that spear with the spear indicates dominion a king, kingly dominion into the very heart and we for us today, need to ask God to sharpen His voice within us, sharpen our commitment in being intercessors who will call upon God for this nation to turn from its wicked ways, for there to be a visitation of the Spirit that would get a hold of the hearts of men and women some people you're not going to be able to change. I mean, you you'd you, you say, well, how, don't you believe? Well, sometimes I just read the gospel. Jesus can be in a synagogue healing a person, and there are people on the other side of it who are saying, how are we going to kill that guy? So there are just some people that are not going to give themselves over. We can't say who those are. Paul the apostle was one of them, and God got a hold of him. But the point is that we need, to, we need to recommit ourselves as individuals who lift their voice to God, not condemning others, but asking for the pure and the true and for the Spirit of the Lord to come. And that's one of the things I appreciated about the activation that we did. Well, we went down and we called upon the Lord, we weren't cursing anybody. We weren't ripping anybody. We were asking God. We were calling upon God for righteousness. And that's the purity of our voice as saints, to call unto him for what he wants. And because this transgression is rooted in breaking away, in uh, expanding into places you shouldn't be. And the heart of it, though, is revolt or rebellion. Very interesting. Very interesting. The second is bruised for our iniquity. Iniquity, we've talked about it, Avon, which that uh, makeup company Avon comes from, where you try to you try to doll up your twistedness. You try to make it look good. <laughs> not that any woman who used Avon I'm not saying that you have twistedness that needs to be dolled up, I'm not saying that. But the meaning of the term, you know, my sister, my oldest sister used to sell Avon. (laughs) Avon calling. And um, it's kind of like the poor man's makeup, but, um, well, it's true. You know, you could buy all kinds of stuff. I did my Christmas shopping from the Avon catalog when I was just a little boy. I bought all these little $1 things, and everybody in my family got $1 Avon gifts from me. There's something you didn't know. See, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> but it comes from this Hebrew word, iniquity. And, um, you know, where does this fit in the fourfold precept? Thunders. Because being bruised is to be crushed or pulverized. It it is, It is, and we've talked about it on an individual level when We are born again that these areas you know how how do iniquities form we talked about that well sometimes it's because you were abused or you were beaten in some way emotionally and you adjusted yourself to be defended or you you accepted some kind of a bitter stand or a bitter root judgment and then you kind of went through life with that chip on your shoulder. And you made it look as nice as you could. Uh, you, you dolled it up, as it were. And Jesus was bruised. And when a bruising comes to us, it's black and blue. It doesn't look good. It's kind of like God's makeup. And, uh, but, but there's healing in that if you surrender it to God. If you keep redressing the blue and the purple, and that's all people see, well, you're you're trying to you're either trying to showcase or cover up your iniquity. We talk about that from a personal standpoint, but from a human standpoint, it's amazing how many people, instead of being crushed by God to be contrite, so that you can then be caught up to the secret place of thunder, um, they they allow themselves to be uh, an apologist for the wacky voice they're following. An apologist for the thing that is ungodly that they've embraced. And no matter what happens, they're like those in the tribe of Benjamin who are going to cover their own when the people of God come and say, you've got some sons of Belial there and all the other tribes had to go to war with Benjamin because they wouldn't give up those sons of Belial. Remember that story? There are a lot of people today that are embracing Belial, which is anti-god, anti-Christ. And they will protect their own even if the truth is facing them right smack dab in front of their nose. No, we're we're covering this. We see that every day in the news. We see it all the time. You know, even members of Congress. Don't tell me your facts. I don't want to hear them. There's no crisis at the border. <laughs> don't show me your facts, Speaker Pelosi says. But then you have Obama, President Obama, former President Obama's uh, chief of the of the, the, the Border Patrol, and you've got all these other people who are finally saying, "Now, yeah, there's a crisis. We've got... We've got thousands and thousands a day that are streaming, and the biggest stream of all is coming. And it's not that we don't love people. It's not that we don't want to help people. But, you know, at some point, you've got to be a nation. You try, you try traveling to some of the countries that I go to. They don't just say, oh, yeah. Here's a guy with white privilege. Just come on in. Just come on. No, you've got to fill out eight or nine pages. You've got to submit it to them. You've got to pay money for a visa, and then when you come through, they're looking at your passport, they're looking at your face, they're looking at it, asking you questions. Any nation without some sense of discipline is not long for this world. But yet, when you say that, oh, you're uncaring, you know. And then they'll bring up the Good Samaritan. Well, the last I looked, the Good Samaritan didn't take the guy into his home. He paid money and said, "You take care of him." Isn't that right? Well, I'm getting off here. But the point is, is that once again, whatever whatever your main s- social theme is, um, you're gonna you're gonna cover it. You're gonna protect it. And you know that's only human nature. You know, we stand for what we believe, but if you're listening to a wrong voice, then you're going to get crossways and and instead of being crushed and contrite caught up into the plan of the Lord, you are joined in somebody else's thundercloud. Voices thunders and that's something that we've got to be wise as intercessors in in this season because the enemy is trying to use this fourfold progression in our nation. Everything begins with a voice. You've got a lot of them out there. And then you've got this thing of of iniquity. You've got this thing of covering. You've got this thing of repackaging. You've got this thing of... of uh, you know, sometimes I see people on the news and I think, man, they sure look good on that screen. And then you see them in public and you think, what happened to you? Not not that I have any room to talk. But, you know, you can present anything as being a beautiful thing. And that's the issue when, in, in fact, as intercessors, we've got to become contrite so that we can be caught up in the winds of the Lord. We're not carrying our own baggage and we're not certainly embracing the baggage of something that's not godly. What about the next one? The chastisement of his peace is upon him. Peace. What is that? Accomplishing the task. Going forth with a task and being willing to bring it through to victory. And... Um, Lightning, the sons, the assignment of the sons is there. Well, what is chastisement? That is regimented teaching. That's that's what Hebrews says. Whoever there is that is a son that God loves is going to be chastened. You're going to be taught, and you're going to have a diligent application of what it means to be a disciple, and that's. But but uh, but who's doing it? It's upon him. It's upon him. He learned obedience from the things he suffered, and he continually prays for us that we will accomplish the will of God. We as sons, the lightning and the arrows and the quiver of God, are at the right hand of God with Jesus. This is an amazing thing. That's our privilege. So the uh, the chastisement of our peace is is God in that secret place of thunder igniting us as his arrow of his lightning for our task for our for our assignment of peace and then the last one is this by his stripes healing rapha comes and we've studied about that in the past that the stripes upon Jesus back the terminology here and what Peter references is, is in, it, it speaks about the whipping that he took, but the stripes themselves speak about the, um, uh, the, the hem of his garment, speak about the placement of where God wants us, speaks about the, the specific alignment of where he has called us to give ourselves and uh, you know his train filling the temple in isaiah 6 is is that terminology and everybody in their place no matter what it costs you everybody in their place and there are a lot of things we could talk about about this but through that through that being committed to the place of the earthquake through that place of being established And to stand, no matter what comes against you, usually from behind. The things that come from behind are often worse, usually worse than the things you face at the beginning because you've got backbiting, you've got retributive acts, you've got cursings, you've got the words that come that you weren't expecting from your own camp. All of those upon the back. And those are the things you face when you're in the place of the earthquake where God has said, I'm bringing restoration, I'm bringing healing here. So this principle of four is something that God wants us to recognize Jesus has paid the price for. And we we need to, as Christian people, as people who are born again, take it into the next step of understanding to say, Yes, I understand there are four things here. And I understand that these align themselves with the principle, the precept of four. And I understand that as I am an operative of the throne, that God is speaking through these to me. Yes, I was born again through this. Thanks be to God forever. But now, as I grow into sonship, now as I grow into one that was a baby and now can be entrusted by God, this same principle of deliverance that I was freely received, that I freely received, now I freely give, and I do it on a bigger scale, a divine, eternal scale, and what we will do through eternity. So I, I see this, and, and I come down then to that eighth verse where it uses transgression again, which was the thing the Spirit really stirred me with. The transgression of my people caused him to be stricken. Uh, transgression. Um, You know, this was used again in Daniel chapter 8 when it talks about the saints and it talks about the battle that the saints are going to be facing against, um, against the enemy forces. And if you in Daniel 8 verses 12 and 13 it says a host was given against given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression there's the word by reason of transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spoke, How long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And then you have the 2,300 days. The transgression of desolation. I mean, there's a lot in this. If you look in commentators, a lot of them will try to say, well, this stuff's already happened. And they'll try to throw it into their eschatological machine to say, well, these are the kingdoms that are coming after Daniel, And they got it all figured out. The, the only problem I have with this of many is that this clearly says it's for the time of the end, over and over again, for the time of the end. And we're not we're in coming into the time of the end. There's no way that a that BC three hundred was the time of the end. <laughs> I mean, there's no way, um, and and is very clearly there. But the transgression of desolation, Jesus called this the abomination of desolation. He, re- he referenced this, and so you've got uh, you've got desolation here, and then Jesus speaking it again. What does that word mean? Well, here it it goes from a shaman it, 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 it that progression of Shama where you hear from God and then you commune with him there uh, the, the people of God can Shama before God but then there are the shamem is is a word that means an anointing or shine that's upon a person who's hearing from God but we also know that there this is used in the demonic realm to speak about shamans and to speak about people that are in touch, like sorcerers with the spirit realm, and and there's a word that word progresses that speaks about people being bitten as a spider would be bitten, and and be deceived, and and be and be therefore led astray through this false anointing, through this false voice from God, and that is this transgression here. This isn't a positive use of Shema. This is the negative progression of Shema. There's so many of these voices out there. There's so many of them. People that speak about the spirit realm. And there are a lot of there are a lot of them that are just mystics. There's one really popular guy who's written a lot of things. And if you look at who he is, he's a mystic. He borrows a lot of his teaching from Buddhism. He borrows a lot of other of his teaching from psychoanalytics. He champions Freudian. He champions Nietzsche. He champions a lot of these things, and he mixes it all together in a big cocktail that fuels a lot of the stuff we've been talking about together today. There are a lot of those kinds of people out there. you got to be careful. you got to be really careful. But this is part of the desolation. It's an abomination. And you know, the, the weird thing about it is if you stretch that in a negative in the negative use of it in shaman, shaman, and the and, and and through there, it ends up in nakedness. It's it's very interesting. And in fact, when you when you look at when Jesus said it, the same the Greek word leads to nakedness. And it, it reminds me of two things. One is what the Laodicean church was in Revelation chapter three, where Jesus says to them, "You know, you church of the people, which is what Laos, Laos people and the group. You people have so much wealth. You're you're covered in all these things, but you really need to have your eyes. You should maybe we'd say you need to have your eyes examined." Uh, but they you need an anointing on your eyes and you really recognize that you're really naked and and you what you're really longing for is the covering of God. And it reminds me of the second thing of what happened in the Garden of Eden when the Eve and Adam listened to the serpent, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they knew they were naked. Before that, they were naked, but they weren't ashamed because they were covered with the breath of God. They were covered with God's anointing. But then after, when the voice of God was coming, they were afraid. And there are some that would like to say that that's the same word as shame. It is not they weren't ashamed when they were covering by God, when they were covered by God. But when God's voice was coming for them after they sinned, that word is Yare, and that means fearful. And what God needs to do in this nation is stop having people run around talking about the shame of what this story and that story, and just say, I am afraid that I'm missing God. I have a fear of God. That's what this nation needs today. Not covering themselves with 50 other things, instead in, in in including goofy hats in 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 your protests against uh, those that want to speak right. I'm I'm going off here. I got to be careful. But uh, how are we covered? How how are we covered? Are we covered as a people of saintly calling? who want the breath of God and who want his voice? Are we people who are as a voice in the midst of the wilderness calling, prepare the way of the Lord for his visitation? Or have we accepted other voices? Have we accepted those things that the world would echo? Have we begun to question what God's word says or try to twist it and smear some avon on it? Are we really coming to grips with what's going on in our world today? Are we moving in grace? Or are we in the flow of sin abounding, missing the mark abounding? It's one or the other. It can't be both. You can't sit on the porch of grace, dipping your feet into the waters of sin. You can't do it. You're either in it or you're not in it. One or the other. So he was wounded. For the principle of revolt, rebellion, going astray, being in places where you don't belong, when you know where you should belong. And the call of that spear, the dominion of God, reaches deep into your heart and deep into his heart and says, come back where you belong. He was bruised for iniquity. Where we should be contrite, and made as dust to be caught up in the wind we're championing causes that we should not be championing chastisement of his peace of his assignments the teaching the diligent instruction is in charge charged to Jesus it's upon him he suffered those things that he might show obedience as a son. And he is supervising the line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, calling of the saints from the right hand of God that we would be as arrows from the quiver of our God. And by our